Welcome back to Sell Me, the podcast that'll help you make decisions. This season is still about the College of Business. Um, I am Preston Knight. I am sorry there wasn't an episode last week. It was spring break, so no one was here. Um, this week, though, I'm joined by Tim Harvey, finance instructor and accountant, but not accounting instructor, correct? I teach accounting as oh, well. Oh, you do teach accounting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. We got a double whammy yep. this week. Um, thanks for helping me out here. You bet. Uh, weird weather this morning. Yes, I just noticed that. Yeah, I, I woke up and I was like, nice, we're on my bike. I uh, get like 20 seconds from campus and it starts sleeting in my face. Right. That was terrible. So <laughs> I guess we year. are getting weather today. It said we weren't going to, but we all know how accurate Apple weather is. In spring in Montana. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of accounting and finance, what made you want to do those things? Sure. I, I started off in uh, finance, my undergrad degrees uh, in finance, actually. So I, I'm both a, a CFA, a chartered financial analyst, and a CPA, uh, which everybody knows what a CPA is, but not everybody knows what a CFA is. So, mm-hmm. the, so I, I have credentials uh, and degrees in, in both of those fields. But I started off in finance. I was actually a, a double major engineering and business, and I was interested um, in, I, I dropped the engineering eventually. I was just very interested in the finance side. And uh um, so that's, uh, you know, I guess I'm just interest ever since I was a kid. My dad was a big, um, you know, he was an avid stock investor and so was I. And so he helped me buy my first stock when I was, uh, I don't know exactly 11 or 12 years old. And oh, that's early. Account. Yeah. That's super early. He really got me started early and that kind of became my, um, you know, lifelong passion and, and interest actually. That's, so that's what got me interested in finance. I took a totally different route. I ended up going into banking, but. But that's what uh, what got me interested. So for the record, only you and Angela so far actually studied what you're teaching. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, actually, like the other the other four, not not even close. No kidding. Not even close. Mar- the marketing and management teachers did not study marketing and management. Oh, interesting. But the two accounting slash finance. Right. Studied accounting and finance. Right. Well, you know, it's hard early on to pick your direction, and I was right. I was doing all kinds of different things. I was getting my pilot's license. I what? Was, yeah. Oh, you're my in, kind of guy. I wish I would have known you earlier. <laughs> I'd been in the military, and I was, uh, you know, I was exploring all kinds of options. Um, but no, that that interest in finance actually has never varied my my entire life. But you know, it's hard early on to pick a direction, and uh, you know, that, sure. that's why I was doing engineering. That was also going to be, you know, lined up with my pilot's license. I was doing aerospace, but um, I don't know. It's just uh, it's it's hard to find your direction at first. I get that, absolutely. You you know, Um, but it turns out I think I picked the right path. Nice. So why didn't you go into like financial engineering? I know that's something that we offer here. Is that a kind of a new thing? I kind of did. I mean, that was my field was derivatives uh, and complex investments, but uh, we didn't have a degree. I went to the University of Colorado. Oh. And uh, we didn't have a degree in financial engineering. That's almost where I went. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm from I'm from Colorado. Oh, me too. Interesting. Where about? Yeah. I grew up up in Gilpin County, which okay. is uh, the second smallest county in Colorado, only 1,200 people in the whole county. That's so very, very small. very small, remote, yeah, up in the mountains, yeah. Nice. Well, I'm yeah. from Aurora. Okay, yeah. So... Yeah. Not not that great of a place, but you know, I got through it. A lot of my I made it through was there. in Denver. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So then, um, you went you went to school for finance. Yeah. Um, was there? How was it like getting into the 
the job force after going into school? Was it like pretty? Was it pretty easy? Is it pretty straightforward? Because that's kind of what Angela made it sound like, where you go through your accounting classes and then you you know do graduate school with you and get your CPA and then you're pretty much home free. Right. Uh, you know, I didn't have that much direction, honestly, and I wish in hindsight I'd taken advantage of some of the faculty members to, to kind of help me choose a direction. I, I, I ended up uh, choosing a good one, but it was almost by chance. It was just who was interviewing on, on campus, you right. know, so I, I, I left it up to random chance more than I probably should have. Um, so I ended up being a bank examiner right after I graduated uh, for the controller of the currency, which is the Treasury, U.S. Treasury Department. And I had a couple of other offers, too, one from Arthur Anderson, which uh, probably a good thing I didn't go that direction in hindsight. Uh, what, they, why is that? I don't well, know. Well, they that were is. involved uh, in, uh, you know, the Enron scandal and WorldCom oh, and that so was them? forth. And they, yeah, and they uh, eventually, uh, you know, they no longer exist uh, as a result I, yeah, of that. Yeah, that's so, probably a good thing. And, you know, I, I felt stupid at the time because that was one of the, you know, top jobs you really could have gotten uh, at that time. And, uh, the, yeah, it probably would not have turned out well. But there's no way to know that at the time. Of yeah, course. for sure. And I just I had interviewed with the, you know the bank examining folks, and I I don't know I I, I just went these are my people you know this is the, it was more the people than anything else that that brought me into that career, and then from there I went into banking, and uh, you know then went out on my own as a consultant later. How long were you in the banking? Well, I was a bank examiner. It's funny. I thought, well, you know, I'll do this job for a couple of years, get the experience, and then and then move on because I didn't think I really wanted to be a bank examiner. But right. it turns out I really loved it, and I stayed there nine years. And uh, you know, I, I I had got some good promotions, and I really liked the people, and I really liked the work, and. And honestly, I was choked up the day I walked out of there. I didn't really want to leave even after nine years, but I felt like, I, all right, I've got to expand my horizons and go, you know, do some kind of more sophisticated things. But right. I, I still, that's one of the best jobs I ever had. And I, I still look back with really good memories of that. But it set me up for a lot of other, you know, nice things later on. Did all of that happen in Colorado too? It, it did. I started in Fort Collins, um, and then they closed the Fort Collins office, so I got transferred to Denver, which I never especially was a big city guy, um, but it was actually pretty easy uh, adaptation, you know. Have you been down there recently? Yeah, I still can't break my ties with Colorado. I, right. I still love it. I go back a couple times a year just to see friends and the old stomping grounds. And it's everything. crazy down there now. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Denver's three million people now. It's which, nuts. Yeah, it's triple the size that it was. You know, when I grew up there. Yeah, so I was. It's I was a whole there. Place. I was there seven years ago, and it's nuts. Yeah, yeah. Like I, my route to school because I went to school in Highlands Ranch, even though yeah. I lived in Aurora. Yeah. Like the whole drive there, when I was in was I, when I was in high school. There was there were little breaks, yeah. like where there'd be no houses and just be like farmland. Right. Calm down for a second. Yeah. Now it's all homes. Right. And traffic. Yes. All day. Right. Like right. six a.m. to like ten p.m. I know. I sometimes I, I roll in on I twenty five. You know, late exactly. at night for yeah. making the drive here from Montana. Yep. And, and it's bumper to bumper. You know, on a Sunday night, I don't get it. it, it you know, the traffic just never it's stops insane. anymore. It can't yeah. stop. Yeah. Also, probably won't stop because more people keep going. Right. Well, Fort Collins. Uh, I, I worked in Fort Collins in the eighties, and that uh, at the time was very similar to what Bozeman is. Exactly. Now. Yeah. That's kind of what attracted me to Bozeman. I was right. Like, wow, this is just like the Fort Collins I used to know. But now Fort Collins is like Boulder was, and Boulder, you know, everything. Boulder's a whole new thing. Yeah, yeah. They're all different. They're all much bigger cities than they used to be. Yeah. So most people either like Fort Collins or like Boulder. Yeah. Are you one of those people, or do you like both? I like 
I like both, honestly. I mean, they're very different towns. They are different. Yeah. <clears throat> but I'm definitely more of a Boulder guy. I yeah. think I've just had a better time yeah. every time I've been in Boulder. Yeah. And there's awesome food. True. In True. Boulder. I, I love go to it. both. When I go back, I, I still go, you know, visit Boulder. Right. In fact, I just walked through the uh, CU campus for the first time in a few years, just a couple months ago, actually. And uh, that was that was so cool. Uh, no, I love the campus. I love right. Boulder. But the thing I liked about Fort Collins, well, it was a lot smaller at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought, wow, this is better than Boulder because it's not so crowded, not so contested. Yeah, for sure. It great. It had like, you know, hundreds of miles of bike paths where you didn't have to get on the street, which was, you know, you could ride along the Poudre River and mm-hmm. all over town on a bike without ever you know getting on an on street exactly. bike path so that's actually what i liked most about fort collins they both had their you know they both have their uh, cool aspects though how, how much bigger is boulder now i mean it's it's obviously been growing but like are there some things that are still really really similar to your oh, member yeah. yeah like was the pearl street mall is right very similar I, yeah you know i mean they have the big parking structures yeah there now and uh you know it's a lot more congested but it's, it's the pearl street mall is still the pearl street mall and the hill right you know i mean it, it's changed i mean we had a, a bar called Tulagi's, which was the big student hang hangout now mm-hmm. it's like office space you know right it's just uh, but no i mean the vibe is still definitely the same was bova's there i don't remember that one, okay huh? It's like a little convenience store, and there's like a little grill in the back. On the hill, or where is it? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure it's on the hill. But um, <clears throat> it, it, the little grill in the back has this sandwich. It's called a Brandon. The Brandon. Yeah, and it's a it's a grilled cheese with chicken tenders. Okay. You can get like mozzarella sticks in it too, okay. like hot sauce and ranch and right. jalapenos and all this stuff. Right. And it's amazing. Huh. It's I'll, so good. N- next time I'm down there, I'll I'll keep an eye it's, out. It's heavy. Yeah, it's definitely heavy. You put chicken tenders and mozzarella sticks in a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, it's right. gonna it's gonna bring you down a little bit. Yeah. But uh, nice. that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. We have that connection. Um, yeah. About your pilots. Licenses. Yeah. Where did you do that? Did you do that in Colorado? Did you do that up here? Yeah, Colorado, um, Arapahoe. <coughs> it was called Arapahoe um, County Airport at the time, south really? of, south of Denver. Yeah, so that's really close uh, to where I grew up. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where I started to pursue that and. You know, it was I, I planned to do it in conjunction with the military, too, to get my hours, right. because it's really hard, uh, at least at that time, it was really hard to make it into commercial aviation, mm-hmm. earning the hours on your own. I mean, you you know, you got, had to have several thousand hours. Yeah. All, you know, you're paying for that out of pocket. Yeah, it's terrible. That's big bucks, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was trying to get my private license um, and then get my hours in the military, which at the time... The reason that didn't play out is was eyesight. You had to have uncorrected twenty twenty vision, and this okay. was before uh, LASIK or anything like mm-hmm. that. So I was not able to get my hours in the military. So I kept flying uh, for quite a while, but you know it just wasn't practical to get my uh, you know commercial license uh, through that route. I mean, and I also had an instructor that was with me, you know, the whole time getting my various ratings and everything, and he was trying to do it. And I mean, he had been at it for years. Yeah, you it know, takes flying, forever. Yeah, just flying cargo. Flying <laughs> and charters and doing flight instruction to get his hours and uh, you know it's a it's a long path yeah it's i actually was looking into doing that so yeah. that was i switched my major four times yeah and one of those switches was to gallatin college and aviation oh no kidding so yeah. last semester would have been my first semester of flying yeah but i i decided that i needed to get out of school and not 
get like 130 grand more in debt. Yeah, as a hobby, it's a really expensive hobby. It is I a really mean, expensive hobby. Unless you figure out an angle to make some money at it, you know, yeah. doing flight, you know, sightseeing tours or uh, being an instructor right. or, or whatever. It's a it's an expensive hobby. Otherwise, it's so hard to get up to those to get up to those hours too because you mm-hmm. need like what is it like 1500 to even get considered for yeah. commercial like jet flights yeah well they used to say two to three thousand i don't know if that's still the case i think, that, not, I think it's more like i think two thousand yeah or twenty five hundred is more for like the yeah the mainline carriers but yeah. like the regional people yeah i'm pretty sure it's like 12 to 15 yeah but like one of my buddies is going through the flight school right now and he's he's at like 250 hours and he already has his multi-commercial Oh, wow. So he's got a long way to go still. Yeah. Yeah, to rent a plane, you know, I mean, I don't know what it is now, but even, you know, just a just a small plane's 100 bucks an hour, so. It's definitely it, more than that now. Yeah, and, and if you're flying anything sophisticated, it's, you yep. know, it's, it's way more than that. And so, yeah, you multiply that times a couple thousand hours, that, that's a lot of money. I think the, uh, the twin is like $450 yeah, dollars an hour or something right. like that, something ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I wish I could make that kind of money yeah <laughs> i wish somebody would right. pay me that 450 dollars an hour i think I, right. I think i could live off that right that would be awesome well in hindsight i mean there are ways to do it i mean you, you can buy a plane you know i would not have been able to do it at that age but you know it, it, once you have some capital you can actually buy a plane and then lease it out to a flying club or something like that right. you can accumulate your hours in a much more cost effective yeah. way but you kind of have to have some capital to make that work to buy the plane and then and then start making it pay for itself somewhat they never really totally pay for themselves but yeah. at least cover your costs a lot more and there's there's a guy in the in the marketing program who's also a pilot who's actually part of a flight club out of three forks so his flights are like 25 to 50 bucks yeah a leg yeah. or something like that so yeah. much better yeah exactly but that's awesome i didn't know yeah that you were a flying guy too because yeah, that's, like, my favorite thing in the world. I, I'm toying with taking it back up, but, you know, uh, it's not something you want to toy with. I mean, either either you have to go at it full speed and, you know, spend a lot of time on it, uh, uh, the way I look at it, or, or not do it at all. And I've just got right. too many other things that I'm interested in. So yeah. I, I wouldn't want to take it up again. Your license is good for life, so, you know, you, oh, never, that's awesome. you never lose your license. Nice. But, but to actually get current and make sure you're competent and everything, you know, it, it takes a fair amount of yeah. uh, flying all that. You have to do three takeoffs and landings every month, even just legally, to stay current. And, you know, you need to do a lot more than that to really be proficient. Right. I don't know if I want to commit that much of my spare time. Right. So back to the, the, the point of this thing. Yeah. Fine yeah, answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, sort of, uh, what sort of student do you think would really fit into the finance side of school. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I work with both finance and accounting students. Right. My, uh, my main class um, that I teach is financial analysis. And so um, it's dual listed, accounting and finance. So I have okay. half finance students and half accounting students. And and it is interesting. I mean, uh, um, I think the the students that do better on the finance side of things are more conceptual. Uh, they they like more abstract concepts and principles, and the ones that tend to do better on the accounting side of things are, are more detail oriented. And you know, I don't know. Um, I think most students take the Myers Briggs test at at some point, and mm-hmm. there's a dimension in there. And I would love to study this sometime. I, I have no evidence <laughs> to back this up, but but I think uh, you know, there's an N versus S, and the N is in more intuitive concept. Uh, more abstract concepts and the S is very detail oriented uh, um, 
and concrete and hands-on and uh i am off the scale an n personally okay and uh, um i i have this uh idea this observation too and other finance people that they tend to be more n's and the um the accounting students tend to be more s's and i would love to test that sometime you know that this is just my observation but i think if you're more conceptual and you you like the um you know, more abstract concepts better than finance probably is probably a better fit. And if you're really, a, you know, a hands-on, serious number crunching, um, very concrete, not really an abs- much of an abstract uh, thinker, then accounting is probably a better route. Nice. And then after, after you're done getting your finance degree, do you usually go into something like banking or stocks or something like that? Yeah, there. You know, finance is really changing right now. One of the things that used to be a primary route was investment sales, but but more and more that's commission based, and uh, people are now using robo advisors and and they're doing their investing themselves with low cost index funds, which is a great way to go for most people if they have you know some basic financial knowledge. It's definitely something you can do yourself, and so that you know there's some question about uh, what that path is going to look like going forward but uh, so i run the community banking program though here at msu and the banking is a whole different ball game i mean the number of small banks is declining but the banking industry is expanding and there's not really any sign of that giving up it's going to it's going to transform probably with blockchain and various technology you know but uh, hands on face to face banking is probably not going away in students careers you know that that will always exist it's too custom so that it can't go the way of robo advisors you know on the investment side it's you know it requires someone going out to visit the business actually seeing how the business operates going out and visit the the cattle rancher and counting cattle right you know that's that i don't see that part ever going away and that's what community banking is in montana and what what is blockchain i've heard of it i don't know what it is sure it's like um Uh, Bitcoin uh, is the the main, you know, that's the main name that people recognize, although okay. there are thousands of cyber right. currencies out there, but it's kind of the well-known one. Um, the main thing is it's, it's kind of like a currency and kind of like an investment. It's like a currency in that you can conduct transactions in Bitcoin. So you can pay for things in Bitcoin and it's totally anonymous, which, you know, there's a lot of um, evidence right now that most Bitcoin transactions are for, uh, you know, not the best activities for illegal right, activities. Like, because like they dark web yes, stuff. Because like, they can't be traced. But, yeah. the, but the good side of, of blockchain is it's outrageously secure. And so blockchain could be used for, uh, you know, all kinds of financial transactions in the future, far more secure than, you know, like credit cards or online accounting accounts that can be hacked and that kind of thing could even potentially be used for online voting, which I think... Online voting? Yeah. You, you know, the problem with online voting right now is they... Even like bank money transfer platforms are not secure enough uh, to be used for online voting, where people can just vote on their phones or or, or vote, you know, over um, you know over their PCs or or whatever, because it can be hacked still too easily by you know by people who might want to change the vote 
totals from what I've read. I'm not an expert oh, okay. on this. But, okay. but anyway, so that's one aspect of blockchain because it's so secure. I mean, it, it, you know, it's very, very difficult to, uh, to hack. And so that's, there are both good and bad aspects of it. Uh, it may be a threat to the financial industry if people start doing blockchain transactions outside of uh, both our economy and our, our banking network and our taxation uh, mechanisms in the United States because if it's not traceable, you know how how does the IRS assess taxes on it? That exactly, kind of thing. So yeah. that's those are some of the challenges in in finance, you know, and how things are going to unfold in the in the future. But I still come back to um, banking, and when I started out in in banking, uh, which was exactly thirty years ago, and I'm amazed how little it's changed. I thought I thought banking was going to transform in kind of some of the ways we're talking about right now right. you know we were in a big surge of technology at that time right. also and i can't believe that you know the basic business of banking is still the same as it Pretty was standard it still. really is so all this stuff we're talking about changes in banking i don't know i'll kind of believe it when i see it because yeah. i've been expecting it for decades you know right. and it, it does morph it, you know it morphs a little uh, and I think there will be a, a lot fewer brick and mortar. T- you know, we don't really need a bank on every corner. That, you know, in right. the future, that that part. It's not going to be like Starbucks. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but where did like cryptocurrency even come from? I feel like I woke mm-hmm. up one morning and I was like, "Oh my god, you got to buy Bitcoin like right now!" And right. then like some people <laughs> are now like they got like a hundred thousand dollars off of it. And yeah. now they're YouTube famous, making more money. Like, when did this even happen? I, I forgot the gentleman's name that, that you know that basically came up with it. There, there is a a person that's associated with it, at, but. Um, well, buying Bitcoin would probably you're you're lucky you didn't do it because it has lost eighty percent of its value. Oh. Even yeah, even since we started following it in my in my classes. So it, uh, we discussed several semesters ago is Bitcoin a bubble? You know, it was okay. uh, at nineteen thousand dollars per Bitcoin at that time, and it's fallen now. Last I checked, it was about four thousand dollars, which is still a lot. That's insane. Yeah, for one Bitcoin, right? Which, considering it has no actual underlying value at all i mean it's not backed by gold or the united even, states like, government or anything is there like an actual like bitcoin that you can hold well, it, i think there is but it's almost all electronic I right mean, there are actually um bitcoin machines very similar to atms where you can conduct bitcoin transactions and you can you can do them obviously online as well as most that's of it's crazy. not physical coin I I feel like I saw somewhere where somebody gave somebody that was a lot of sums right there. That was insane. But somebody gave somebody a like gold coin that has had the Bitcoin logo on it. Right. And they bought it for like a ridiculous amount of money. It's like this is one Bitcoin and they bought it for like a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Right. But like that could be entirely fake because it's all electronic, right? Right. The electronic is what makes it so secure. So that person it's got not a physical. fooled. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't so. know that particular story. I but. don't. I don't understand any of this. It, all of this is crazy. I, I go to the bank once, maybe twice a month. Right. And that's to put my paycheck in it. Right. So... 
This well, is all people, above my head. That's absolutely it. And <laughs> most people don't see uh, the real essence of banking because that's the deposit side, which is where banks get their money. But the, the real business of banking is on the lending side. So it's what they do with that money. And those are all the floors of the bank above the above the first floor, right. which is all anybody ever sees. But the real business of banking uh, takes place on the lending and investing side. So what they do with with the money that people deposit, that's, you know, that's where the careers in banking are. So it, it really has nothing to do with the... That's becoming very automated. The collecting deposits okay. side, you know, right. and there's not much sophistication there in terms of analysis. But what the bank does with that money, then that's you know that's where the business of banking is, and that's still as interesting and as it ever was, and it really hasn't changed much. And like that could definitely peak peak your interest too. Like if you if you're always wondering like. Why are banks so tall? <laughs> right. I want to know what's going on in the upper floors, and then you <laughs> go through school and you you get to find out. Right. Well, and there's another reason for that is too, and and, and banks like to have a um, you know a very impressive uh, image. Right. And so often they don't even use they lease out a lot of those floors. They'll still have their name on the building on the outside, and they'll have the big marble, uh, you know, lobby and yep. everything uh, just for image purposes. But often, even though the building has the name. Of the bank on it the bank doesn't occupy all those floors i mean they usually have one or two of them though but but not the whole building and i'm yeah. talking about bozeman you know but in most yeah. major cities just all the all the tall skyscrapers have bank names on yeah them. The, for the sure bank doesn't occupy yeah they entire. don't have like 34 floors of no, bank they, they information might have a couple yeah exactly. they'd be crazy yeah yeah exactly. i know that the uh first interstate i think it's first interstate mm-hmm. bank in billings. In, in billings that one's tall yeah. it looks really nice yeah, it is, and that's their headquarters, and that's the largest bank in in Montana. Nice. Yeah. What What brought you to Montana then? Uh, well, interestingly, since we talked about Colorado, it reminded me. I, I just uh, it, it was really discouraging how crowded uh, Colorado got, and, True. and so uh, part of going out on my own and being a consultant was I could live anywhere. I was uh, traveling a lot. I traveled all fifty states for my work with banks, and I, so I could do that from anywhere. And you've so, been to all fifty. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm very jealous. Yeah, and, and 20-something countries, too. I was I was able to travel a lot, you know, for my work and could live anywhere. And I don't know, just thought I would try it, honestly. For I didn't uh, – I'm surprised. Uh, now I've been here uh, uh, 17 years, and, um, you know, I always think, well, i got to go back home to Colorado, and then I go back and I experience the same thing you yeah. do and go, nope, uh, Montana's home now, you know. Everybody lives in Denver. I'm – leaving yeah exactly <laughs> so i guess i was uh, on the front edge of that you know many years ago but before we leave banking just for uh, students that might be considering it as a career path there's one thing i don't want to forget to say and that is for someone who is interested in finance and also really likes dealing with people banking is a good route to go and not everybody right. falls into that not everybody has both people skills and kind of the financial technical skills but i think a lot of students miss that career path you know it's it's kind of not on their radar screen and it's a good one a lot of finance careers are number crunching you know spreadsheet computer models you know and if you don't like sitting in front of a computer all the time banking's a good um, alternative to that because a lot of it is out you know meeting with clients and you know playing in golf tournaments and doing all the nice. the, the social fundraisers you know for uh, charities and things like that it's it's not hardcore sales 
sales or, or hard sell. It's more, um, you know, just having a presence in the community and a very visible presence. So there's definitely that people skills side of banking for someone who's inclined that way. And right. banking is not a good fit probably for someone who's not inclined right. that way. Exactly. That's how, did you golf then? Yes, I like. I like. do a lot of golf. Do you golf with with Angela? I do. She's uh, one of my uh, golf buddies, uh, Jerry Carvalho. Yep, um, yep. She mentioned him. Yeah, Greg Ellert and Steve Alt and uh, nice. uh, Omar. Sweet. Yeah. We do. You, do you have a finesse game? Because we found out that Angela does not. <laughs> uh, short game is my is my strength. Nice. Actually. Yeah. So yeah. you guys be probably be a pretty good scramble team. I feel like Jerry can putt. Jerry's good all the way around. Really? Yeah. Jerry's my partner this year for leagues, so we're going to be a, a team in, in, in oh. two-person leagues this summer. For some reason, I can't see him driving the ball like at all. Oh, no. He can hit the ball. He can hit it? Oh, yeah. He always picks up a bunch of lost balls and gives them to me when I'm playing because oh, I, I lose like about 74. <laughs> right. So he'll just show up right when I lost six balls and hand me six more balls that he found. I know. He's done that with me, too. He knows what brands I like. And so he, oh, nice. he collects them and gives me a bag of, of golf balls because he's a ranger as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he spends a lot of time in addition to playing. He's on the course a lot. And so, yeah, he, yeah he's great at that. That's awesome. You guys have a pretty good pretty good three-person team with, with Angela hitting it off the tee. And then that's about it, apparently. Uh, it's <laughs> uh, it's fun. I, uh, yeah, I. I don't know why everybody hates golf. It's so much fun. It is. It's, it's kind of relaxing and, if you, as long as you don't let it get in your head. It's a pretty relaxing game. Oh yeah, that's hard. To, that is the that is the main challenge. It is, and that spills over into life in so many ways. All the, the lessons of golf, not to lose your cool, and because once it gets in your head, it's all over. You yeah, know? absolutely. I, I, there's definitely a, a huge mental discipline aspect to it. Yep. Yeah. God, it's fun though. It is. I'm, I'm excited a, to start golfing. Yeah, we'll come play with us sometime. Okay. Uh, any students? Um, it, we're trying to get a group of students together to play this summer. So uh, if you're interested, that that'd be I fantastic. I am interested. Yeah, hundred percent. We'll we'll deal with that okay. off air. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Um, so what what made you want to become an instructor? after all of your consulting and banking time. I wanted to do it from the very start. When I was in my undergrad program, we had to write a plan for our lives, like a strategic plan for our lives. And Sounds I, about right. I put it in there from the start that, you know, toward the end of the, my career, and I hope it's not too close to the end, but toward the the end, I wanted to come back and share, you know, what I had learned. And um, I stuck to that. I mean, I never kind of took my eye off of that all, all the way through. So stayed in banking, you know, for many years. But uh, then a position came open here. I already knew a lot of the faculty here at MSU through various finance functions right. and things like that so I, I kind of already knew quite a few of the people and I got a call on Saturday when a position came open here unexpectedly and uh, I was hired that Tuesday like you know three days just right away a phone interview. now we need it to was, get him in here let's it was get him in here 12 days before the semester <laughs> started I was working in Nevada at a bank uh, you know doing some consulting work so didn't even wasn't even available for a physical interview but the start of the semester was literally in 12 you know less than two weeks and right so uh, it came up I didn't expect to start teaching until probably a little bit later in my career but I thought everybody here the whole faculty had been here at least a decade on the finance side you know oh. and I'm like if I don't grab this now uh, another slot's not going to come open for a long time for sure, so, yeah. so I snatched it up and and just taught part-time for a couple semesters and then really really liked it and so started teaching full-time 
And how long have you been doing that now? Uh, just finishing my fifth year. Nice. Yeah. And then are you doing research too? I don't do research, but I still do a lot of bank consulting. So I do uh, my CPA work is uh, solely um, dedicated to specialized bank work. So I still do a fair amount of that, especially in the summers. Specialized so, bank work? Yeah. But yeah. like, like, what do you mean? So I do, um, th- this is going to sound pretty geeky, but That's uh, fine. I, I have a... Uh, I have a very niche specialty, uh, which is validating asset liability simulation models. And that's I, a mouthful. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I was the top Google search hit in the world for for this for what? many years, and so I still uh, I no longer am. And in fact, I've I've scaled the business back drastically to what I can just do a little bit on the that's side. That's awesome now. Man. But I, yeah, I I was the guy for for doing that for many years. And so that's it's a very specialized niche, and I do I validate other types of uh, financial models uh, as well that banks use. So I'm like an independent. I wouldn't really call it auditor, but I'm I'm an independent set of eyes uh, going through their models and testing the assumptions and looking at, at the inputs and outputs and those kinds of things. Jeez. So that I still keep my hand in banking. What was the, what was the thing again? Uh, asset liability simulation models. So it simulates what's going to happen to the bank in various economic scenarios, uh, most usually associated with interest rate changes because that's what banks are most sensitive to. But I yeah. also do various stress test models mm-hmm. for what will happen if unemployment goes up, what will happen if real estate values collapse, things like that. So there's simulation models for what would happen to the bank in various scenarios. Dang. That sounds that sounds that's that's way above my head. Well, it's fun. It's fun for me. That's that right. conceptual part of finance that I was talking about. I mean, it has its hands-on number crunching side too, but it's really just big big principles. I feel like you would smoke every single senior in <laughs> the the business strategy game. Well, I used to teach that. I, I taught yeah? the capstone. Um, so, well, do I, they do the teachers have a team? No, we talked about doing that. that, that I, that I feel like there's that. one team. Yeah, so you and, and the, I'm in it right now. Oh, you are. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. there's one team that uh-huh. is just destroying. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. I'm like that has to be instructors. Is they're too good. <laughs> they're too good. Well, I don't know. We had a team like that in uh, in one of my sections too. I mean, they just. Uh, in fact, they went on to the national competition because oh, really? they were. Yeah, they they were ranked that high. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah, we had we had a bad year. We yeah, had a bad well, last year. The last year was bad. We're gonna move forward though. Yeah, we're gonna get there. Well, it's fun. I mean, I think there's some value to it, no matter how you end up. You kind of get into it. Yeah, like I was looking at the results last night, and I was yeah. getting kind of upset. Yeah, I was like, "What do we do? Right. We did so bad. We gotta we gotta bounce back. Right, gotta take these teams down here. Right, yeah, it's it's a good idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. And yeah. I a lot of schools do it. Yeah, I mm-hmm. didn't even know that. I just hit searched on YouTube and there were a ton of videos of people saying like it's not that hard or like getting all intense about it right well it depends on what your other teams do too you right. know I mean if you played it again with the same exact strategy you'd have different results if you had different competitors exactly because it's industry yeah 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 so there's not like a secret to it that you can apply every time it depends on what your competitors are doing right man whoever thought of that yeah <laughs> that is that is in depth yeah. It was very in depth, yeah. but uh, I think we've gone over all the school stuff. Yeah. So now we have the question. Okay. That I've been told to ask. Okay. What is up with taxi cab medallions? <laughs> 
So I ran across, uh, like I said, I worked all over the country and I did a lot of work in New York and uh, New York City, Manhattan. And um, just if, in case you haven't heard of this, which I admit I hadn't either at the time because it's, it sounds uh, so hard to believe, but um, the city of New York distributes licenses to operate taxi cabs based on a, a there's far they restrict the uh, the number of permits and these permits are called medallions and they're physical metal medallions that you you'll notice probably now when you look at not just New York but Chicago lots of big city taxis they have them actually fastened to the hood of the car it's this metal thing fastened to the hood and it's got a permit number and anyway the reason it's interesting is because of the restricted supply it's kind of like um, liquor licenses in Montana I mean the, right. it's which go for ridiculously high amounts of money too but when I was looking at taxicab medallions they were selling for six hundred thousand dollars and it had become and I don't know what they are now for I should, one taxi I, for one taxi so it cost six hundred thousand dollars for the right to operate one taxicab in New York and banks would lend against this they would take the taxicab medallion as collateral because it was effectively as good as cash if if that uh, taxi cab operator defaulted on their loan the bank could foreclose get the taxi cab medallion and and sell it to someone else or use it you know to sell it to another operator i mean they're mostly big you know obviously an individual it's pretty hard to uh, you know come up with 600 grand to exactly. operate your taxi although they would lend against those i mean the bank would give you a loan you know for so that you whatever, can get the medallion 80 percent of the medallion but you still have to have a fair amount down but um, that's insane yeah and that went on for uh, a long time and it probably it probably still is i mean anytime there's you know restricted supply of something and and very high demand then you get prices like that, that that seem to be way higher than they should be but that's just supply and demand and so as a result the taxi cabs in new york usually operate 24 hours a day seven yeah, days for a sure. week and and you can't do that with one operator so that's why they're you know they're largely they're people that own fleets of taxi cabs so they can keep that that cab moving all the time i mean to to justify that kind of expenditure you have to so do taxi cab drivers make a ton of money? No, not not or really. Or do, do the mean, drivers themselves not own it? It's like some overarching guy who now hires a bunch of people. Yes, I mean, how do you have that much money if you have right. like a fle- a fleet of ten? So right, that's like sixty million, six six million. Yeah, I'm six, terrible at math. Apparently, yeah, six, six million dollars to have ten yeah. cabs. Right. Right. So like, but again, the bank will pay make for that, that. The bank will make that loan, and and uh, you, you pay the loan payments out of you know what you're earning for the taxi fees. But of course, you know Uber and Lyft are disrupting that right. business model too. And it'd be interesting to go back now because this was you know this was pre Uber, and it, it would be interesting to go back now and and see what's happened to taxicab medallion values if they're still up that high now that there's more competition. I mean that's the key. You know, supply and demand is competition, and and the, the it was a monopoly essentially i mean you Absolutely. had to have a medallion to operate a taxi cab in new york period and there was no way around it and and so um you know it was effectively a monopoly so i don't know uh, i'd be curious now 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 after after we sign off i'm going to look up current taxi cab <laughs> uh, medallion values in in new york and see if they're still that high so is it I, i've never been to new york i've mm-hmm. only been to chicago once and it was for like eight hours but yeah is it cheaper to take a taxi than it is to take an uber 
No, it's usually the other way around. It's usually cheaper, it's cheaper to, take, to take, an, an Uber. take an Uber. But at, but at the time, you had no choice. I, right. I, that was, that, so taxi cab fees were pretty high in New York because you because of the monopoly and, and, and their high overhead costs. Uh, you really had no choice. I mean, it was, you know, like from LaGuardia, I, I don't remember, you know, the, you know, it was, let's say 30 or 40 bucks, you know, to Manhattan, which is, which was a lot considering it's a fairly short. Yeah, it's not very far. No, right. Wow. And, and don't quote me on those uh, fares. I, I don't right. remember, but I remember being shocked at how much it was. And I, I just, there's so many taxis. Yeah. In New York, yeah. so like, do do banks kind of like pit against each other in order to get those loans? Even like, because there, there's no, I feel like there's no way one bank can just be like, yeah, we'll just do them all. If you need a tax, if you need a tax cab dying loan, come come on in, we'll, well take care of you. Interestingly, the way I came about this was one of the banks, and I, you know, I won't uh, say the name of the bank, but it, that was their. Uh, one of their specialties was taxicab medallions, so they had a concentration in it. This that was their one of their primary lines of businesses because they were good at it, and good they, at they it? knew they knew the business. Yeah. How, how do you even like present that to somebody? <laughs> oh, what do you guys specialize in? Taxicab medallions. Taxi cab medallions. You said what now? What? Why not yeah, like well, homes? Yeah, we say what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. At, at which point or they apartments. took me over to the window and looked down on all yeah. the taxi cabs and pointed out the medallions. Come on, on over the here. Hooks. You see all those yellow yeah. things? Seriously? Yeah, all yeah. of those. Exa- we do that. Exactly. All the yellow. Uh, the cabs were all yellow, you know, and the medallions are silver colored, and and you can see them fastened to the hoods of all the taxis down below and you know that was all news to me but that was one of their their uh you know you gotta this ties back to the senior capstone but you you have to have focus in a business generally exactly you know and so this was one of their points you have to specialize in something you can't be everything to everybody and so this was that was just one of their fields i mean they knew all the players they knew how to foreclose on those if they needed to they know how to sell them to other operators if they needed to and that was their that was their deal that blows my mind. Yeah. So I, I understand it in New York because there's a ton. Yeah. There, is, is Chicago also huge yes. with taxis? Because uh-huh. I, yeah. I didn't the, see very At the many. time I looked into that, and they, they were they had the same system. They were not nearly as high priced, but they were still in the mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was still a hundred or $200,000 even in That's ridiculous. And, well, it's funny, too, because it ties back to Bitcoin, which we kind of you know started off with. Yeah. That medallion is a is a piece of metal that's probably not yeah. worth ten dollars, you know. But but what it represents is a cash flow stream, you know, that that it gives you the right to this cash flow stream over an indefinite period of time. I mean, they never expire. That you know, the taxicab medallions don't expire. So once you've got one, you've got the right to that cash flow. That's what gives it value. And kind of similar with you know Bitcoin or anything else. They right. have no. It's not backed by gold. It's not backed by the U.S. government or, yeah. or anything it's else. It's just a thing that people now value a lot. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Whoever thought of these things? Right. Bitcoin and taxicab <laughs> medallions. Right. Genius. Yeah. I'm going to make this thing. Yeah. Who knows what it's going to be worth? Right. But hopefully it's a lot. Right. And then it is. Right. Is it anywhere else besides New York, Chicago? On the taxicab medallions? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's similar things to that in all in most big cities where they do um, some type of permitting, but uh, um, that's restricted. And, and again, it's very similar. Like there's, you know, conceptually, it's not any different than the liquor licenses in yeah, Montana yeah. that 
go for hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, again because they're so restricted. In yeah. a lot of states, they're not. You just go get a liquor license, and, and there's no limit on them. And you know, it's a few thousand dollars. It's not a big deal. But in Montana, it is because there are a lot of restaurants that want them. And the exactly. state, the state has set a fixed number, you know, of licenses that they're willing to grant. And so as a result, I mean, it, you know, to, that's the high barrier to entry to start a restaurant in Montana is if you want to serve any kind of alcohol, you, you know, you got you got to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for that that license so if there's a limited amount how do more bars keep opening here yeah i feel uh, like we have like three new bars and i heard that there were no more liquor licenses right i know well and, and you see a fair amount of restaurants that open up without one and hope to get one at some point down the road you know and not that you have to have liquor to be a a restaurant but, right but you're sitting on pretty valuable um square footage and so to maximize you know your cash flow there you really do kind of need to have the liquor license too not everybody's not going to go there because they don't have liquor obviously right. a lot of people will still go there without it but you know to totally maximize your your business it's it's better to have it so a lot of businesses start off without one and then try to you know try to get one which you can buy from someone else because restaurants do fail at a fairly high rate around here i mean it's yeah. you know over a period of years you kind of start to notice it's it's hard to even keep track of what used to be here oh yeah you know it was this before it was that before it was something else and so they you know they do come up uh, even in the secondary that, that would be called you know secondary market you're not buying it from the state you're buying it from someone else mm-hmm. man lots of crazy stuff just <laughs> happened and my head hurts i think okay well. <laughs> oh my gosh well you know i think i think we're about we're about good here um okay anything else you'd like to say before uh we sign this thing off no, not at all. I mean, I'm I'm always other than I'm always happy to talk to students on a one-on-one basis if they're going, you know, through the usual um, stress of picking a path for life, and you know, for for what it's worth, you know, I, I've kind of seen the strengths and weaknesses and of various paths, and so I can at least throw out some ideas, and I'm very happy to do that. Well, awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I really appreciate you talking to me. Awesome guy. Oh, thanks. Glad thanks, to have Preston. met you today. <laughs> thanks, Preston. I wish I would have met you earlier because uh, <laughs> I think we would have had a really great relationship. <laughs> thanks. But, um, uh, my pleasure. This has been episode six of Sell Me, uh, the College of Business um, with Tim Harvey. Um, man, that was cool. That was so cool. I I learned things that I didn't even think I would have learned things about, <laughs> including Bitcoin. Okay. So thank you very much for for helping me out. Um, if you guys haven't already, I also have an Instagram and a Twitter. Uh, those are both Sell Me Podcast. Uh, feel free to follow those, and I will see you guys next week. Thank you. <laughs>